to the Better Golf Podcast, powered by Win Daily Sports, where betters go to bet better. Here are your hosts, Tee Off Sports and Sticks Picks. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Better Golf. I'm your host, Spencer Aguiar, and I'm happy to be joined by my man, Nick Brettwish, who nearly took down $1 million since the last time we filmed the show. If you aren't doing so already, you can follow Nick on Twitter at S-T-I-X-P-I-C-K-S. You can also find me at T-Off Sports. But Nick, we missed last week's episode at the 3M Open and couldn't discuss your near million dollar takedown at the Open Championship. Tell me a little bit about how close of a call that was for you. Oh, dude. It stings so much more now. I was on vacation last week, so it didn't sting as much because um, I was just you know busy and drinking a lot. Uh, but yeah, now it really stings. Uh, so I needed DJ to not make Bogan 17 and he makes Bogan 17. Um, so the only, if he doesn't make, if, I think if he goes par par, I get second. If he makes a birdie in one of those holes, um, I win it all. And he did make bogey on 17. That didn't matter too much. Cause he was like seven feet away for birdie on 18. And if he makes the birdie, I win. And that, uh, it just sucks that it was that close. I was like 5th, 9th, 14th, 19th. Like, I, I had the damn board surrounded. I was so heavy on the cam combo. And Russell Henley, too. Like, my top lineup going into Sunday morning, my top, like, three lineups had Russell Henley. And I think he was tied tied somewhere in the top 10 or maybe 11th going into Sunday. And I don't know. What did he shoot? Do you have that in front of you? He shot, like, plus 6, I believe, on Sunday. So it took those lineups completely out. Um and it was just a nightmare because, I mean, it was a great week. I can't complain about, you know, winning that much. It was awesome. But it just sucks that I was that close because it's a million maker. There's like 250,000 entries in there. Like, it's tough to get that high. But I had that board surrounded. And the shitty part is, too, uh, Wednesday around like 5 o'clock p.m. So right as I'm doing like my last tinker, I take out 20% Victor Hovland to put in 20% Morikawa. If I don't take Hovland out, and the, the rest of my pool, exact same, everything was fine. If I don't take out Hovland, I probably finish like one through ten, all yeah. by all, all me, just like I'd taken it all. So that was really frustrating. I like because it, it was I was so heavy on you know a hundred and in that short game I was talking about for you know guys that drive the ball really far and everything like that. So like. Hovland checked every single box for me in terms of what he does off the tee and his approach play, but that hundred and in in around the green game for him is so damn bad. But I don't know how the hell I went back to Morikawa when he hurt me so much the week before, which is also a monster week for me. And he was missing that he was part of the lineup that took down the five of six uh takedown there. But oh dude, it just sucks that I was that close, especially like when I took out Hovland. That just that hurts even more because I, I legit pro I don't see how anybody would have finished ahead of me if I had the 20% Hovland when the field had like three percent. So that that really hurts. I know he didn't do much on Sunday, but the points that he did occur throughout the week were just would have, you know, plummeted me up because I did have lineups with Morikawa that did all right too. So I don't know. It just sucks that it was one putt away from a million bucks. Like if there was multiple outs, like multiple things I needed to go right to win, I think I'd feel okay that it just, you know, that's how hard it is to win a million dollars. And then you get that damn close. Oh, it stings more than it feels good, but it, you know, it was a good week. So it is what it is. 
Yeah, it's frustrating too with Russell Henley. Like we were talking a little bit off the air and you just mentioned it. Now he was, you know, six over or whatever the number actually ended up being for him. But all you need is a couple birdies for him, a couple spots better on the leaderboard. And I mean, that would have been just as good also. And yeah, he was like 2% or 3% owned. And I had, I think 50% Russell Henley or 40%. I was so heavy on him. I mentioned that on the show. That was going to be my like differential play down in the low 7K yeah. range. Cause there was so much dead chalk at 7K and everybody played Max Homa. And we talked about that landmine and everything like that. So that I, I think, Worst case scenario, like I, I've said it multiple times on the podcast, I, I'm not saying that those guys are a landmine pre-tournament, but they, you know, certainly like to me, they didn't check every single box in my research. It's not like I just thought, oh, they're 40% owned, I'm out. Like there was something I didn't like with uh, with Hovland. I think it was his proximities and the, I don't know, I don't have my notes in front of me of why I didn't like him a whole lot, but just avoiding those guys. I don't remember who the chalk was that week. I know he was a big part of it. I uh, do you remember. Do you have ownership up for ownership up for that week? I could pull up your spreadsheet. That may help. But uh, all in all, like I, I did mention like four guys and you mentioned them too on the show. Like they're probably if you if they just miss the cut, you don't have to be that good with your lineup. So I would have had a great week of, you know, two, three, four X, five X cash. Had I not had been so heavy on cam and cam just because I avoided those landmines and the missed cuts. So just finding pivots in those price range guys that you know you think are educated plays this week i love max Homan. he's going to be just as popular this week as he was at the open i don't think i could fade him this week but finding guys like that like i tell you right now cam's cam young is 30 percent owned going in this week there is a couple things i do feel wrong about cam young in this tournament Same so i will here. not be playing him yeah i will not be playing him at all um kevin kisner is going to be close to 20 percent because yes. of course history you guys can have that at 9.1k like stuff like that um, but yeah, it's, it just sucks. I could rant about it forever. It was still a great week. Like you gotta be thankful for, you know, the, when you had go on hot runs like that and I'm excited to keep it going. Hopefully this week didn't really do much at all. Last week I just made one, one, uh, section of lineups and didn't tinker or anything like that. Didn't even really look at the board. So I'm excited to get back to it. Yeah. We talked about a home, a lot during that show, just with everything that we thought with him and, it's it's interesting because I don't remember where you had him. I, I want to say you had him outside the top fifteen, and I think it was nineteenth. I think you were. I think it yeah. was nineteenth. That's the number I was gonna say with it. But yep. um, and you know the problem is it's just not enough value. Like you said, like it's maybe not a player that you hate, but when you're able to create leverage by pivoting off of them and going to a player. I mean, I don't know who directly was in that range with them. I don't quite remember, but um, I mean there was I'll a lot. Find of- that as you talk. I will definitely find that. There was a lot of players though that you could go to. Like I remember Seamus Power was super popular that week. And uh, I don't know if you ended up getting to him or not. That was a guy that like I kind of liked fading for all the reasons that you No, you, you talked me off of him, thankfully. Yeah, but there was a lot of landmines. And I think what it shows though is like just with what we've seen the last, and it's not just the last two tournaments or last few tournaments, it's like the last two months with you. I really don't think, and I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say this, I don't think there's anybody hotter than you right now in the golf betting world. And that's from like a combination of everything. Like we always say, you don't need every sector to come in at the same time to secure a profitable week. But when you do have a handful of areas going in the right direction, which is what you've had over the past two months, that is when you start seeing a lot of really big scores occur. And so we've gotten that on the DFS side of the equation. And I know you've hit four or five outrights also over the past two months. Um, I don't know if you have the number up in front of you, but I assume you have to be up 50 plus units on the year right now in the betting market. Yeah, I think like 61 now. 
Yeah, it's wild. After, after the, uh, the Xander live at uh, Scottish. Um, and then Cam Smith last week that was, or at the Open. Um, I, here, the pivots were obvious uh, for Max Homa. I said it on the podcast, too. I was going to do it. It's, Homa was like 25% owned, right below him at 7 to 8% Cam Young. Oh, so yeah. I just went like 50% Cam Young, 50% Cam Smith. And then I played, I was not on him until you talked um, about Adam him a Scott. lot. Adam Scott. I yeah, did like I 20% him. Adam Scott. Yes. Yeah, so I just took out, and both those guys absolutely crushed it. I didn't love Scott nearly as much, but I trust you. So that helped a ton. But yeah, just literally taking uh, Max Homa off my player pool and just going all in on Cam Young. Obviously him finishing second helps a ton. Like when he passed Rory at the end, that was huge. When he made the uh, the Eagle on 18 after he drove the green, that was great. But yeah, just a simple pivot like that to a guy that I ended up like pre looking at ownership. I had Cam Young so much higher. It was the second bet I have. If you look at my tweet, it was the second pick I ever put on that board was Cam Young outright. Or maybe it was first. I don't know. I think Cam Smith may have been second. But yeah, I, I like Cam Young ownership agnostic over max homa that week so it just i got lucky obviously with many other players but it worked out and then dj was i know he cost me a ton but without him playing so well all week i wouldn't you know probably never got there especially with the henley collapse on sunday so i I can't be mad at dj but if he did want to spare a mil of his uh (laughs) live money i'd I'd happily take it there's so much group think mentality that goes on in this space in general where you know, we'll talk about Kisner this week and we can talk about Cam Young. Um, and, and every tournament, there's multiple players to, to discuss. And it doesn't mean that they won't find success, but I'm kind of confused what is drawing all the ownership in that direction. Like, I guess with Kisner, it's the course history, which I care nothing about with Cam Young. Course, course history, though, like I get that, but course history and a price hike? Come on. Yes. Like, I, I don't I don't get it. Well, do you want to move into the tournament this week and start talking yeah, about yeah, this a little bit? Yeah, we'll, we'll get into this sec- segment in a bit here. All right, so we have Detroit Golf Club this week. 7,370 yards, par 72, Poa Greens with a bent grass mix. That looks to be about an 80-20 discrepancy in favor of Poa. This will be the fourth year the tournament has been held at the track, although it's really hard to say that the first few iterations went according to plan. Winning scores of 25 under and 23 under took home the title in 2019 and 2020. And while the total did shrink to 18 under last season, 134 golfers have managed to reach double digit scores during the first three years of the event. Like always, I will have you start us off when talking about the course, Nick. I am sure you will touch on some of the concerning metrics when building a model in a second. But is there anything you did notice that you were able to use with the track? Uh, I really did value inside like 115 yards and in um, other than that putting, obviously, but it's, uh, it's weird because there's multiple paths to success and it's yeah. kind of a, a tough venue to, to really handicap and feel confident about because anybody can get hot with the putter. You saw Scott Piercy just go lights out for three days with his putter uh, first tournament with a new putter, apparently. So that was interesting to know. He went to a Scotty Cameron uh, Newport, I believe they said on the radio when I was driving back from vacation. Um, away from his mallet putter so whatever he did there that worked out i know he collapsed on sunday but i, I don't really feel bad for that that was still a great tournament by a guy like scott Piercy. we'd probably never play but yeah i mean being long off the tee helps a ton too but you could be accurate hit fairways and you know play a little bit longer iron so when i kind of just did like a hybrid model for the guys that vomit i really valued the 115 and in for the guys that were a little longer i took it up to like 150 and kind of made a model per player 
I don't know if I like that very much or not, but obviously I want relatively strong putters for the most part. I mean, if it's again, anytime I'm head to head with a decision on, am I playing, I don't know who's close to pricing like Mark Hubbard or Chris Kirk, it's going to be, you know, who puts better. And that's obviously like what I think about every single week. I'll probably play them both this week, but you know, bad example. I'm just rambling, but yeah, all in all, it was a hard time for me to handicap it. Cause I had to run it multiple different times from multiple different groups of players based on what they do off the tee. I like getting different with building a model. I, I think that's a unique approach to go with it. And like I've said before, and this is a much more advanced way of running a model. And I don't necessarily recommend this to everybody out there listening, because I do think that once you start tinkering with numbers and I'm the king of tinkering with Jason day and Webb Simpson numbers, and we know how that ends up Not this week. Apparently they were uh well, Webb's Webb's in a good spot in your mouth, but where's Jason day? A hundred and something. He's so far off the board. 109 or 105. Sorry. 105 overall rank. So for those listening, Spencer did something wrong because Jason day is never outside the top 20, even if it's a major. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what happened there. And Webb Simpson's number two when I ran this from upside, which I mean, we can all agree that that's probably God. correct at this point. Yeah, he's the king of upside, of course. Yeah, we know that on this show. We've discussed that a bunch of times. But uh, let me talk a little bit about this tournament because Nick brought it up really well with why this is such a tough, I guess, event to handicap. But there are flaws in the data. So that doesn't mean the information isn't still tangible and decipherable, but there are concerns about how the scoring dispersion is taking place on the leaderboard for a few reasons. In an ideal world, you would like to see any of the non-putting categories take a spike in expected production, just because that means there are more straightforward paths of breaking down the data when we know a particular strokes gain category is going to be vital for those that have historically found success. But unfortunately, in this situation, the numerical information is instead providing that dreaded putting contest moniker that we hate to talk about in this space. And that's one of the reasons why I said Nick doing something different. While I wouldn't necessarily recommend everybody doing it, you kind of have to know what you're doing and be very, you know, cautious with it. But I think it's a way to get unique. And you're going to hear how I did my version of it in a second. But when you look at strokes gain off the tee approaching around the green, All of those totals have been less impactful here than we get at a random track. And the boost shifts heavily towards putting, something we see with a total of 41.6% of all critical strokes gained data points occurring with the flat stick in hand. That is a massive amount that is about as high as you will ever see for an event on tour. But as everyone knows by now, and this is where I went a little bit wonky with it, I never live inside of the box of taking things for what they are on the surface. Doing that either gives you the same build as everyone else, or even worse in this spot, creates a model that is not usable if we are trying to dart throw who might make putts for the week. I never think that that's the optimal way to go about things. But from a structural perspective, Donald Ross designed the venue in 1914, and the tree-lying nature of the facility hasn't seen much change since the day it was built. In theory, that potential for blockage mixed with the four-inch thick rough and methodically placed bunkers should create a more difficult path to finding success. But a lot of the danger can still be taken out of play because of the wide open nature of the land. Golfers hit 4% more fairways here than a standard stop. And the 11-yard increase in distance from 282 yards to 293 yards emphasizes how length can create an advantage, even if it's not the only path to finding success. As I mentioned earlier, the greens feature a combination of bent grass and POA, which will roll on the slower side of the equation. And all four par fives are scorable and will allow eagle chances for those willing to take a few risks. While all of that is fine since we do get a little more information to add to the mix of what to expect, 
We still lack anything real to take out of that because we know most of what I just said hasn't shown to be noteworthy when it comes to production. If distance mattered, we wouldn't see the largest decrease of the mix when looking into strokes gain off the tee. So I decided to create something different, but in my mind makes a lot of sense because it combines the ability to make putts with the opportunity of creating those chances. I will save that for the end of my model breakdown, but I started with weighted par four for 15%. That combined all 10 holes and took a projected proximity total for each player in the field to find who would be most likely to like the distances presented. I did weighted par five for 20%. Those will be your four easiest chances of the week. And it took 70% birdie or better on par fives over a two-year sample size and mix it with 30% proximity from over 200 yards. Overall birdie or better 10%. I believe that's a really straightforward statistic. I mean, 45 players in event over a three-year span are averaging double-digit totals here. That means that you're going to have to produce uh, scores there. Sand save 10%. I'm curious to hear your thoughts when I wrap this up. Um, I'm not so sure how much I love using this in my model. I'm not sure if there's a direct corollary here. Actually, I guess I'll ask you right now and I'll, I'll wrap it up in a second. Did you find anything between sand save percentage and success? Yeah, well, more more the opposite, I guess, sand save percentage and then people that struggle. So it, I just want to avoid double bogeys and guys that get stuck in the, you know, like Piercy when he kind of blew up, he went double bunker there. So that was kind of the only correlation that I had. I only put like 5% in there, but guys that obviously have a very high sand, per, sand save percentage and close proximities and good putting are guys that I will certainly be playing. And we'll talk about one of those guys in a little bit here. But yeah, it was more so, you know, people are going to hit bunkers. I think a lot of them are tough to control. You're going to get weird bumps off of divots and stuff like that. It could be windy. It doesn't look like it's going to be now, but who knows? It's, you know, still the Midwest and anything could kick up off the lake. But yeah, not... Not super high on sand save, not 10% like you are, but I certainly do value it this week. I like your range of it. I mean, maybe I'll end up taking like two and a half percent off and putting it someplace else because I do think I'm a little bit high right now with where that is. But uh, the last two categories that I ran, I have weighted off the tee plus weighted approach for 10%. That took all recalculated proximity totals for Detroit Golf Club and merged it with total driving category that was heavily geared towards distance. So even though I'm not necessarily looking for distance, you know, and it's only 10% of the weight and it's only going to be a, a percentage of what that total combination is to begin with. Cause I'm looking more at the weight of approach than I am the weighted off the tee, but it's there. It's going to at least matter to me. And then my big creation of the week is weighted proximity plus weighted putting for 35%. I don't want to overcomplicate this more than it will already end up being. But first I looked at make percentages from zero to five feet, five to 10 feet and 10 to 15 feet and combine those together to get a new number that highlighted trends from the track. I then separately took POA putting and bent putting numbers and mixed those together to get the players that were most likely to find success on this exact green complex and then merge that number and the weighted putting from zero to 15 feet and turn that into one new putting total. I did a very similar thing on approach metrics to try and figure out golfers that were more likely to create good looks and morph that total with the weighted putting to get this hybrid rank of players that would be most likely to make birdie when taking into account all factors. So I want to give an example of that. Zalatoris is the number one player in this field for expected opportunities created. He's also 121st to actually make them. But when we combine the sheer number of chances that he will get with the likelihood to make the putt, he graded 16th. So did all of that last section make sense, Nick? Yeah, I think so. I think I follow you. Mad scientist a little bit, but I do like it. Are you saying that? I would assume that makes Will Zalatoris a pretty good weighted putter on this course. 
It makes, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's, we're looking at a player. With the proximity is half, so. Yeah, so like Will Zalatoris is the number one player in opportunities created. He's the number one player in weighted proximity. He's the number one player in strokes gain total driving. He's going to present so many opportunities for himself so that if we take the baseline of what to expect from him, yeah, he's going to miss a lot more putts than the rest of the field, but he's also going to have more chances. And if for some reason he can just be a little bit better than he, his baseline projection, that's how he can end up winning this tournament. So, um, you know, I think it probably would have been a much more simplified answer by just saying I wanted to find players that were going to create the most chances from the anticipated proximity distances and then added in the likelihood for them to make those putts. But I did want to highlight all of that of what went into the information because it wasn't some standard combination. And I thought I needed to dive into it a little bit more, but top five names overall in my model when taking in all the data, uh, that would be from an overall perspective. That's adding in current form. Also Cameron Davis, Patrick Cantlay, Tony Finau, Will Zalatoris and Max Homa when running it for upside. I mentioned how Webb Simpson jumps to two Adam Scott jumps in the top five. Uh, don't really have any arguments there. You'll never hear me complain about where Webb is in my model, even after he burns me every single week. But what did the top of the board look like for you, man? Uh, your boy, Tony Finau, Patrick Cantlay, Zal Torres, Cameron Young, um, despite I will 100% be fading that, and Max Homa. Yeah, I, I just can't get behind Cameron Young, and we can still save that, I guess. For, I mean, let's, he's, let's... he's a great golfer, I get that, but it's just 30%. I'm, I'm going to be out, for sure. But yeah, well, so you... back to back to the sand thing real quick. So when I was going through my original player pool and I'm seeing like a 15% projection for Adam Svensson, a guy that uh, on the proximity side of things looks really, really good to me. Um, putting's not really there and then the sand saves not there. So that's like my two reasons to get out if he's going to be 15% owned because I have no value playing around 30% if I'm doubling the field like I usually do, unless it's like Patrick Cantlay or someone like that. If they're 11K, I'll probably go one and a half the field. But anybody else, for the most part, in the 9K range or below, I'm definitely playing at least 2X. And then when I get down to 7, it's usually 3 to 4X, like I did with Henley, and so on and so forth. So just wanted to get that out there. That's kind of more of like, all right, when I'm in between some guys and I don't really like their ownership percentage, that's going to be the thing I look at. Yeah, offshore market also hates Svensson this week in a lot of the situations that I've seen. Um, just that would be Amer- the American and the DFS public or I guess any the DFS public worldwide and most of the American betting markets seem to just say Svensson and a birdie fest are in. So it's like, okay, if that's the only thing you're standing on, I will go away from that chalk if it turns out that he's going to be chalk. But just an, a random arbitrary example I found when talking about the sand save thing. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing, a, and the problem with Svensson too is that there is a negative trajectory for upside. So if we are losing some of that potential, I don't know how great that is when we're talking about a 15% golfer that's, you know, you know, if like if he's going to come in 25th place, then I mean, so be it at that point. Yeah, you, that's fine with me. All right. How do you want to run through the board this week? Like, obviously, I don't want to spend 50 minutes on the DFS portion. Like we <laughs> it's did been last working, week. though. Well, I mean, what a week to spend 50 minutes on it when you pretty much take down a million dollars with us talking about it. But it's up to you of how you want to run through it. I will follow your lead. All right, yeah, let's let's go 10K and above real quick. What are your thoughts on Patrick Cantley? I am, uh, obviously, we talked about Cameron Young. I think we're both out. I think, I like, if Cantley doesn't top five it, I don't think he's a value. I kind of just want to go in on Fino and Zalatoris at that price range. My favorite play in the range would be Will Zalatoris. I don't know. It's hard for me not to like Patrick Cantley. Like, I don't yeah, mind. He's such I, an elite putter. Everything's good. I, I know. I like, I'm, I think I'm creating a way to the best player in the event on paper at least 
here's the problem with it. I guess like of fading him at least like, yes, he's going to be 18% owned or whatever. He ends up going off the board, but he's only 10.7 thousand. It's not that expensive. And I love the $6,000 range for the most part. So I could theoretically build a lineup with three players, $9,000 and above and find myself in the 6k range. And obviously one of those players being sung, you'll know that'll make it very easy for me to try to build lineups. However I want, but and John Ha, huh, baby. I see him crack the top 24. I liked him too going in. I just didn't get there in the betting market. But if he's going to be 1% owned, I'll just take, get my exposure in DFS. Yeah, Ha's very volatile, but at 1%, that's easy enough to get to him. There's Justin Lauer. There's, um, I like Kelly Kraft a little bit. There's a lot of players that are like oh, 1%. That's yeah, it's, it's bad. <laughs> it's getting bad. But All right. I, the, well, go ahead. No, I was I, I was just gonna say like to me Zalatoris and Cantley would be my two favorite plays from the mix. Young is a definite fade for me. If he's gonna be eighteen percent owned, then it's one of I'm those spots. Thirty. Well, if he's thirty percent owned, it's even worse. Yeah. You know, you're probably right with it. Like I have seen every person on, I guess, betting Twitter talk about him, which is a different concept. But people are willing to bet him at twenty to one or whatever he is. I'm sure they're not gonna have a problem going to him at ten point one thousand and. He's 16th in my model. Like there's just negative traits with him all the way across the board. So uh, if I'm going to take Chuck and I guess I'll move us into the $9,000 range here, I'd so much rather play Max Homa. Yeah. And that scares me too, his ownership, but he just grades out so well for me. I will be in there, but yeah, Cameron Young, it's like, I just feel dirty playing him because he's damn near 3k more expensive than he was when he was 10, less than 10% owned and tore up the world at the open. So it's like, I'm not buying the the stock at its highest price. I just uh, can't do it. Um, Adam Scott, I think I'm in. Cameron Davis looks great. Ownership's getting a little crazy, but he's just a, a good player. He's gonna. I think he's a lock to finish top fifteen, top twenty, and at that price, that's probably just about even value. So if he, you know, he's a guy that can make a ton of birdies too. So I'm okay with him. Kisner, chalk at ninety one hundred. I will be one hundred percent out on. I think Keegan Bradley at ninety two hundred. I'm going to be hundred percent out on. What are your thoughts on Adam Scott? I didn't love him. I kind of just want to fade this whole 9K range other than Homa and Davis. There's three players I like in this range, and it would be Homa, Davis, and Scott. So I, I like going to Scott. I think that you're going to create leverage by playing him. He's probably the only player 9K and above that's going to be under 10%. At least that's where my numbers have him right now. If he spikes in ownership, you could talk me out of him. But no, I, I like his same thing. Yeah, I mean, I like his upside that he presents and um, I mean, offshore markets really like Keegan Bradley. That's the only positive that I'll say about him. So I'm not going to talk anybody out of playing Bradley, but like, as far as Kisner is concerned, I don't know. Like we'll talk about it when I have a head to head against him that I really like. And it happens to be somebody from this $9,000 range that I think you can pick on Kisner against, but I, I don't really know where that price tag is coming from. Yeah. I'm going to be a hundred percent out on that in the 8k range. Denny McCarthy, 8,900 is wild to see. Um, yeah. I guess he's had a hell of a year, but Maverick McNeely, probably chalk. Davis Riley, probably chalk. I like both of them. I know the offshore market absolutely adores Maverick McNeely. I think Thigala, I'll be out on again. He's just not not for me with the proximities and the putting. Is this in his sand save? Obviously, we, I mean, that was one bad shot at um, the Travelers, but he's just not very good out of bunkers either. I know it's limited data too, but I will be out on Thigala. Um, probably in on Tringale, but my favorite play probably on the week 
is going to be Adam Hadwin. I absolutely yeah. love Adam Hadwin this week. And his ownership's probably going to go up a little bit. I'm sure a couple of people will steam him as well. But everything about him, sand saves great, proximities, expected proximities, I should say, with my model, how it runs it, its simulations based on his off-the-tee game look fantastic. I, I like everything about Adam Hadwin. He's a great putter. He can get hot. He can survive in a birdie fest. Um, and then Webb Simpson, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> I've tried to find a way like – so I, when I do my player grades, I write my notes and then I color code them bold green as in like can't miss pretty much type of guy. And Cam Young and Cam Smith were bold green at the open, regular green, yellow, orange and red as in pretty much red. I'm not playing them at all. Um, and my, my notes for Keegan Bradley, trash putting, trash proximity, expected proximities, favorite trick Tringali and Scott is written in orange because it's like, OK, do I need to really look at these books and try to find out what they see in them. So whatever, but only a couple guys are straight up bold for me. It is Adam Hadwin and Max Homa that we've covered so far. Yeah. I'm not too different from you on that. And I kind of want to avoid this $8,000 range if I can. So I think Denny McCarthy, that's a player that I'm going to take on in a head to head matchup that we'll get to here shortly. McNeely and Riley are fine. I think that's just more of a situation, as Nick said. They're going to be very popular. I don't mind looking elsewhere. I'm not going to, I mean, at 15% for both of them, I think there are better options that you can get to. I really I like trust that. McNeely a little bit more. Sorry to cut you off. But what are your thoughts on Davis Riley? Because I did. He's green for me, almost bold. I know that means nothing to you guys, but like that's like almost full go. We're, we're going heavy in on Davis Riley. And I never play that motherfucker. So <sighs> I don't know. It's a birdie fest. He's sixth in this field in overall birdie or better percentage. It seems to be a good fit for him. He's a player that is rising in my model every single week. Like there were weeks where he was outside the top 70 and he was producing top 15 results. And I think finally the results, or I guess the stats seem to be catching up with the results here, but I don't know. Like he's 18th in my model. He's 12th for safety. I guess you have to like the safety factor of it. I think he's okay. Like I'd rather play him. Like if we're directly comparing, I'd rather play him than Thigala. I'd rather play him than McCarthy. Um, I think from there, you kind of have close decisions that you're going to have to decide between. Um, For sure. But I, I don't know. Like Hadwin is my favorite play in this range. And that's coming from somebody that bets Webb Simpson every single week. And I would still prefer Adam Hadwin. And I like Webb Simpson for the upside that he presents. Like I think at 10%, you can take a chance and, you kind of have a similar sentiment here with Russell Henley, but there might be a little bit too much volatility with him for me to trust it. Yeah, I'm not going to be a Henley guy this week, I don't think, as much as I want to. I love him as a player, but yeah, not for me. Um, Just really fast, I, I think the way to play Henley might be as an outright bet. Yeah, if it gets hot with the putter, but that never happens, so I don't no. know. But yeah, that's it's probably all or nothing for us, I think, or a top ten at least. And I don't bet top ten, so not probably. I don't know. I don't see how I get to Russ Henley this week. That's fair. I mean, you might maybe I'll play him. I don't know, but I feel like fading a lot of these guys in the AK range is where you're going to get different this week. I would agree. All right, seven K, and then I'll let you talk about a couple six K guys that you want to. Uh, I don't love Chris Kirk. Yeah, I. I don't love the ownership around Chris Kirk. I think this is like the common trap. Yeah, that everybody... Everything I say is ownership related. Cam Champ chalk too. That'll be a hard pass. Yeah. Like Kirk is a player that 
how many times can he burn the industry when people continue to go back on him at 15% plus ownership? And I mean, that was Maverick McNeely all year long too. And people still play him. I, I don't love the $7,000 range in general, I guess. Like there's a lot of ownership that's condensing in all the same areas. Like we see it with Kirk. We see it with Stallings. Um, Got her up again. (laughs) Got her up is going to just be popular every single week. Like I would rather go and play guys like as gross as it sounds like the CT pans, the Ricky Fowlers, these guys that are 5% or less that I think do have a little bit of upside. They're top 30 in my model, no matter how I look at it. Um, Here's English at all. I, I, so I'm going to be honest with what I did with Harris English. I had to change some of his stats and I did this in the opposite way of what I do it with web. I like when I run a two year model, it's very important to sometimes add in a little bit more of the recent form. If a player is clearly not showing what they did, you know, 16 months ago or something. So I went in and I did regress some of his stats. So I didn't get such a, I guess, you know, ridiculous output on him and, and it ended up moving in the 59th overall. So the number in my model is worse than what it would actually be if I just left the numbers the way they were. But I don't know, like he missed the cut at the open. He had a 42nd at the Scottish and I guess a 19th at the traveler. So you could say that the form is somewhat turning in the right direction. I wouldn't say a miscut at the open is something I'm willing to get off of a player for. Yeah. He just has a gain strokes approach in three straight rounds. And that kind of what used to be his bread butter was the iron play. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, other than that, it's kind of just guys like, like I continue to like Austin Smotherman. I like Michael uh, Gligich or whatever his name is a little bit, although I don't really love him at 9%. I think you can play him as a top 40 bet. We can talk about that in a little bit, but I don't know. I like to me, a lot of the players that I'm looking for, it's like, I want to go to the very top of these 9,000 plus golfers and put a bunch of them in. And then I want to go into the $6,000 range and find the guys that I like there and kind of make this boomer bust type build this week. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's going to be a week that I get extremely weird too. Some of the chalk in the 7K range, just to bring it up real quick, who did I definitely not like? Yeah, Svensson at the ownership right now, I'm out. Um, I don't know what to do with Goddard up. He actually graded up okay for me, but I, I, you know, an unproven golfer that's that young, I think I'd rather let him beat me than play 15 plus percent of them. Yeah, I, I don't really... I mean, what did he grade for you overall? Overall, like 37th. So kind of like right in line with his price. I mean, at 37th, or I don't 30th. Think, sorry. I don't think you should play him based off of that. Like my model kind of likes him a little bit. He's 12th overall. And I don't necessarily trust the data is the problem with it. It's so few rounds that I'm looking at that, you know, I saw the same thing and I've used this example a million times, but there was a time I don't know, a year ago, I guess, where Justin Suh, no matter how I ran a model, would be like the number one player in my model until I had to change some of the numbers on him. And there's always a chance that Goddard up is having a very similar situation here. And once we get two or three bad results, all of a sudden he becomes a golfer who's like 50th in my model instead of being a top 10 guy or a top 10-ish guy every single week. But yeah, I I probably would prefer to fade him if he's going to be 15% plus. Yeah, I'm with it. All right, give me give us a couple six K guys because I really haven't got there. Uh, obviously, I'm gonna love Sung Yolna with you. Um, Caleb Terrence ownership's probably through the roof, so I found a different way to get to him. Um, but other than that, I really haven't got that 
that far down the board. I don't know if I get hurt by Glover again. Yeah, I don't. I don't like much down there. I, not that I like a ton, but the players that I do like, I seem to like a lot. So it's going to be the Lowers. It's going to be the Sung Yul Nose. Those like those two guys. I'm going to have a ton of exposure to in all facets of every way you want to look at it. I think John Hut at one percent at least presents the yep. upside that you're looking for. I uh, same thing about Joseph Bramlett. I like Billy Kraft this week. I know I brought him up earlier. I have a top 40 wager on him. Um, you know, Kevin Chappell has turned it around a little bit recently. We're not necessarily getting the high-end results from him, but he is making cuts three in a row. So he was at least a player that's a winner on tour that might have found something recently. And um, I mean, there's there's kind of a lot of guys that you could kind of just name that are top 50 players for me. Satoshi Kadaira, Andrew Novak, it's gross. Luke Donald. It is a gross board. That is for sure. Aaron Baddeley. Aaron Baddeley is a guy that I seem to like on most weeks. And a lot of times when I play him, I do so correctly. And I probably will play him this week. And we're looking at three top 51 finishes over his last four tournaments. So you're kind of just picking and choosing your spots here. Just really fast before we move this on. Do you happen to have any thoughts on Wesley Bryan? Um, I mean, no, I, I, I did yeah, no, I'm I'm not a Wesley guy. My upside model absolutely loved him. I think he's an intriguing. Well, I thought he was an intriguing first round leader until he ended up on the wrong side of the weather draw. But I don't know. Maybe if you have one of those markets of like who's going to be the low scorer on Friday, you might want to look at Wesley Bryan in the morning time there. Yeah, I mean his proximity is great out, amazing for me. But off the tee and putting, no, no. I don't yeah, well, know. Wesley what's, Bryan, uh, what's the bad weather draw? The afternoon Thursdays. Windy or what? Not, 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 not bad, but I mean, we're looking at a difference between five miles per hour to probably like 15 miles per hour. Oh, okay. So there's yeah. at least a big enough difference if you're looking at like specifically first round leaders, like more so than anything. I wouldn't change my player pool based off of that. Yeah, for sure. And then really quickly before we move into the placement market, I do want to mention two head-to-head plays. Uh, Both of these are available on DraftKings. And as always, I will add any of the Bovada plays into my Vegas report article on Wednesday. But the first is Cameron Davis minus 120 over Kevin Kisner. I believe that has moved to minus 125 uh, before we had a chance to record the show. But as I keep saying, I'm a little confused with the pricing on Kisner this week. I know he's been brilliant at the course with back-to-back top eight finishes. But we are paying for that narrative in spades at a venue that has some of the least predictive rollover course history totals on tour. The POA putting is great for him as he ranks inside the top 10 of the field, but the weighted proximity totals place him 106, not to mention that the off the tee plus approach stats have him 126. I know it looks like he found something with consecutive top 21 finishes at the Travelers and Open, but most of that came with the short game, and he hasn't gained over 1.5 shots with his irons or driver in an event over his last nine tournaments. If he continues the course history narrative, then so be it. I'll take my loss here. But I like where we stand on this bet if we can avoid a miscut from Davis. And then the second play would be Adam Hadwin plus 100 over Denny McCarthy. McCarthy doesn't have the same kind of course history as Kisner, but it's a similar mentality in terms of game type where the putting looks great, but the weighted proximity, ball striking, and par five scoring leaves a ton to be desired. McCarthy is 137th in this field for weighted proximity, 140th off the tee plus approach, and 131st for weighted par five. To me, it seems like a situation where I know this is a putting contest that could end up serving both McCarthy and Kisner well, but when their best chance of finding success comes from having to gain seven shots, let's say, with their putter, 
I will fade if I don't believe they are providing themselves as many makeable opportunities as other players. I know you like Hadwin this week. I'm sure you're going to sign off on that play. I know you're off on Kisner, so I assume you don't have a problem there either. But anything that you want to mention about those two plays or just anything in general that you want to talk about before we move into the placement market? No, no, I love it. I absolutely love Adam Hadwin, and I do not like Kisner at all, so fire away. All right, perfect. So let's get into your bread and butter of the placement market then. Do you want to start us off this week? I will. Um, a play I don't love a ton. My model seems to love this guy a lot. The market seems to respect him even more than my numbers do. But I had Mark Hubbard top 40 at minus 115. FanDuel is laying plus 115. Um, so 30 points of value there. And then my, I'll, I'll just do all mine real quick and get your thoughts on him. Adam Hadwin top 40 on FanDuel minus 105. That'll be the hammer kid play of the week. Kalen Taron, top 40 on Camby Shops, so your Bet Rivers, Barstool, all that good stuff, plus 175 to finish top 40 there. I will not be playing Kalen Taron 10% DFS chalk if that's where the ownership shows like it does right now. Uh, Peter Melnody going up the board a little, or down the board, I should say, a little bit there on FanDuel is plus 250 to finish top 40, and then I will take a dart throw on Wyndham Clark to finish top 20 on DraftKings that is plus 350. So thoughts on Hubbard? Hadwin, Taron, Melnati, and Clark. Clark is such a boomer bust candidate. And we talked about this a little bit when we filmed our little segment for Action Network. But I like playing these players like Clark up the board. So that would be like a top 20 wager in this position, just because they're so likely to miss the cut. And when they do boom, they seem to boom with like higher end results than you normally expect. And Clark has the skill set. He has the distance. He has the putting that he at least can get hot and potentially turn that into something. So I don't mind taking a chance on him. I, my model didn't necessarily like him, but I like the mentality that you're going with of at least taking that volatility and trying to play it into a top 20. I like Adam Hadwin a lot this week. Um, he's going to be a player I'm trying to get exposure to in every market, even though I don't have a top 40 on him this week, I kind of went in the head to head aspect to get it there. And uh, the one question I'll ask you, cause I'm not so sure I actually saw the reasoning behind it. Why did Mark Hubbard pull out of the tournament last week? I didn't say it just said undisclosed is all I saw. I didn't see anything injury related. Maybe it was family issue or just didn't want to go. I, I have no idea. I did not see any, um, breaking news for it but i was also pretty much out of pocket so i just tried to look at it yesterday when i saw my numbers on hubbard but didn't really find anything well so anybody I would look, in the hubbard camp let us know i would look into that just to see but my numbers really like mark hubbard this week so i, I think this is an intriguing way to play him he's going to be popular um uh, when that happens, you can always look at a top 40 type bet. And my numbers have a more in the minus range than a plus number also. And then as far as Mel Naughty is concerned, I uh, don't have a massive thought on him. I know the form looks good recently. And Callum Perrin, the form looks great on. He has three top 22 finishes. I don't know what my model did not like about him. Not that it hates him, but um, I, I guess it would be... So, I mean, that's the problem. It's like, it doesn't like his stand save, but I don't, I already think I'm overweight there. It definitely didn't like his weighted proximity plus weighted putting. Um, so it didn't like the putting numbers. The weighted proximity was fine, but I guess it just expects them to miss a lot of those opportunities because the putter has been so bad. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But that's fine. I mean, as a player that's plus 175, you can take a risk on that. It's not going to like break the bank by taking him. Well, yeah, I love the form. My model liked the numbers a lot. 
But if he's going to be 10% plus owned, that was kind of my hedge out. Is like, I will, you know, exactly. I'm going to take it on Catlum in case he does go, go, uh, go low this week. Oh, that's always the way that we try to recommend a lot of these players. If there's volatility in the DFS world and you still like a player, get exposure to them as an outright, get exposure to them as a top 40 bet. And You'll be fine. I mean, if Callum Terran comes in 22nd place, there's going to be really no heartache that's felt on that on your end. But I, I'm taking a very, I guess, similar mentality where I'm taking long shots. You have a lot more players up at the top of the board, but this is a week where I'm just going to get unique with it. And, and I'm starting with some you'll know top 40 plus 440 fan duel. That is plus 330 on DraftKings. I think one of the biggest flaws most gamblers have is that they structure their wagers in a fashion to where, yes, they are changing their risk amount to account for their edge, which is good, but they're doing it in a way that dilutes everything else for the week since only one bet ends up mattering. This is probably more of an answer that I would mention for head-to-head -head wagers. You'll see somebody bet, let's just say $100 on one matchup and then do $500 on the next. They go one and one, the big bet loses, and now we've created this massive hole versus what could have been a much smaller loss because of an uneven risk between the two wagers. I always tell people who are just starting out betting head-to-heads, and you can change these numbers to fit more into like the narrative that you want to find it in, but I always say to bet to win one unit, 1.25, 1.50, and 1.75. I think that's a really nice distribution that keeps things flat and structured long-term. But I mention all of that to say I am taking a bit of a stand on Sung Yul No at the Rocket Mortgage. I usually bet to win around a unit on most placement bets. Instead, I'm going to risk a full unit here to win 4.4. So if no lands a top 40, it's going to probably be a profitable week for me. And if he doesn't, I will still have a plethora of outs elsewhere since the risk amount is small enough to overcome. But for the reason I'm doing that is because no is one of the largest discrepancies I have probably seen on my model since Seamus Power last year during his hot run. And it's stemming from his fourth place ranking when looking directly at my category of created opportunities mixed with that likelihood of making the putt. The lack of top end finishes has kept nose price in check, but five straight made cuts, all of which landing inside the top 55. That has me encouraged that this could be the breakout spot for him to make a run up the leaderboard. Any thoughts on no before I move on to the next play, Nick? No, I love it. I just up my exposure to a half unit play on him because I was very low. But yeah, I, pretty much the same exact thing in terms of unit dispersion. I uh, usually risk anything to win 0.7 up to one and a half units in the placement market. And so it's very, very similar to what you do. But I do go down the board a little bit. But I'm not nearly as an aggressive better because I do have so much of my bankroll tied up in DFS. So that's kind of why I throttle down a little bit. It's not like I'm just firing from the hip here. Yeah, and that makes sense. And like, but I am I'm, firing at the hip now at Sung Yul No, so thank you. I normally, well, it, everybody can thank me after this becomes a It'll victory win. for him at four hundred to one. Yeah, it's not and, even a, no risk there. He's going to win. Yeah, I, I I really think we're going to get a good finish out of him. But like, just to touch on what you just said, I usually bet to win between seven tenths of a unit to about one point two five in the placement market, and. I will take these random chances and it's going to come on these guys. Like I, I very rarely risk more than a unit. A lot of times that's like the Scotty Schefflers of the world at the waste management where I risk a unit or 1.25 units on a number that's, you know, maybe like more in that plus 100 range. But a lot of times I'm risking like on these plays, I don't have to risk very much. Like even if I only wanted to play Sung Yul No as a half unit play, it's still going to win a lot more than it normally would. I'm just going to take the aggressive approach and view this as a situation where 
this is a maximum type wager for me. And it just so happens that, you know, I believe for whatever reason, the odds should be closer to plus 100, which, I mean, you could make the argument that that's outlandish to say about Sung you'll know, but I'm going to treat it in that situation. You're telling me I'm getting over four to one on it. I'm going to take my chances in that fashion and hope for the best there. I also took Justin Lauer, top 40, plus 360 on FanDuel. That is plus 210 on DraftKings. It's another bet that I'm going to take a stance on here regarding my win amount on Lauer. It won't be nearly as aggressive as it was with Sung You'll Know, but I do have a handful of long shot type wagers this week that my model seems to like. When we remove par five scoring from the mix altogether, Lauer grades fourth in this field in weighted proximity, and his combination of putting plus iron play manages to sneak him inside the top 15 when it comes to likelihood of creating opportunities and making those putts. I wouldn't look too much into his miscut last weekend at the 3M Open as he provided three top 35 finishes in his four attempts prior to that showing. And it shouldn't hurt matters that all the reset metrics are trending in the right direction. Nick, I know you were on Lauer last week, but any interest in going back to him again? Where was he in your model? Yeah, he hurt me last week, but let me see where he was at. It wasn't bad. He's 33rd. So for the price, it's not, not, I just, yeah, not much of an edge for me there. But I do like the upside. Yeah, he's 20th for me. I, I just really like the plus 360 number. I, I think there's a lot of potential there that he can bring to the table. So, uh, Would those you rather are gonna... have him or um, do, 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 Justin Lauer or John Ha? I would rather have Lauer just because I don't necessarily trust Ha whatsoever. Okay. That's fair. I, I mean, and that's just basing it off of like the recent form miscut, 55th, miscut, miscut. Right. Don't want to look the, too much into that, but I think Huck is fine as a top 40 bet. Like, I think you know what you're taking on when you bet him. And he might even be one of those classic situations like we're talking about with Wyndham Clark that you might even want to play it a little bit more aggressively. Now, the, the problem is with that, and I don't want to like recommend that to people. Maybe you're just better off playing it both ways because uh, what is Huck's top 40 number? It's up there, right? Yeah, I think it was plus two. 220 I think. exactly I like know. you're not really yeah. needing to have to create a, a bigger number there you're already getting it at plus 220 but he's one of those players where there is that negative trajectory i'm looking at which is always scary and, and there's some of that with lauer too there's just a much more pronounced version of that with huh than there would be with lauer that's fair all right, Michael Gligich, top 40, plus 175, FanDuel, plus 150, DraftKings. I guess I will just run through all of these very quickly right now. Um, I'm going to ride the heater here with Gligich, who has provided five straight top 40 finishes since his withdrawal at the RBC Canadian Open a few months back. There are some concerns with the, how the long-term metrics compare to the recent form, which always means the ground underneath him could sink at any moment. But his top 40 statistical rank over a two-year sample size is good enough for me to trust that the floor is higher than you might expect. It'll be a standard wager, nothing fancy on how I'm playing this bet because of the uncertainty, but he does rank 67 spots better in his tee to green production when comparing his past 24 rounds to my two-year numbers. I took Austin Smotherman, top 40 plus 230. Smotherman's a guy that I found a lot of success on recently. Uh, that is plus 140 on DraftKings, so there's a big difference there. Just consider this a price grab on Smotherman. The profile isn't perfect, which we would expect on a plus 230 ticket, but he does improve 26 spots in expected putting on this particular green complex, something that could help since he's one of the best ball strikers in the field. CT Pan top 40 plus 155 FanDuel, that is plus 130 DraftKings. The ball striking has really started to pick up for Pan, who has gained with his irons in 10 of his last 12 off the tee and 7 of 9 with his approach. 
uh, actually, sorry, flip that with his irons in 10 of his last 12 and with his approach in seven of the last nine. And while the long-term putting does leave something to be desired, we have seen him gain during six of his last seven tournaments. And then I'm going to end with Kelly Crap top 40 plus 360 FanDuel plus 210 DraftKings. If we are calling this a putting contest, we know Kraft is as good as anyone in this field with a putter in his hand. And the fact that he's gained off the tee in three of his five starts with his irons and four of his five off the tee gives us a player that is really coming into the week with a lot of form if you want to look at all of that. So for me, it's going to be Kraft plus 360, Smotherman plus 230, Lauer plus 360, Sung Yul No plus 440. That's the big bet of the week. Gligic plus 175 and Pan plus 155. I don't expect every single one of those bets to hit, nor do we need it to land a profitable week in the market. But let's try to get at least two of them into the winner's circle. And hopefully if no is one of them, that's going to guarantee a profit. So any thoughts on any of those players I just mentioned of the last group? I love it. I am riding with you pretty much exclusively on all those. Perfect. So let's wrap this up then in the outright market. Uh, I will once again, just rapidly fire through these and it's going to be a short card for me. It's a relatively straightforward way of that. I'm going to approach this and kind of hate with this first bet that I took here. Uh, It's a gross number, but for whatever reason, my model seems to like it and it just comes from the opportunity that he's going to create and Willie Z. Yes. And so will Zalatoris 16 to one, as I mentioned, first in this field for weighted proximity and total driving, The putting on POA has been its best surface with the numbers I am running in my database. And I know the belief is that a birdie fest where you need to make pust isn't the type of track that would be best suited for him. But I sort of disagree because of the ball striking that he presents. That's just phenomenal. I took Max Homa at 25 to one. His ability to create opportunities and make them places him third in the field. And the par five scoring and POA putting both rank him inside the top 15 names in this tournament. And then I absolutely unloaded 0.10 units to win 40 units on Sung Yul No at 400 to 1. Uh, I mean, no matter how you want to look at it, he's top 10 in my model. You could say the numbers might be flawed in some way, but he's the only true outlier that presents himself in that range for me. So I'm going to trust my model. I'm going to trust what it's telling me. There's going to be the big bet that I have on him in the top 40 market. So even if he doesn't win, that top 40 bet will still be what ends up being the big one for me. But uh, what are you going with this week for your bets? Yeah, well, Sung Yul No, duh. Um, Adam Hadwin, 42 to 1 on FanDuel. Oh, Webb Simpson, 50 to 1 on it. DraftKings. Uh, also took the Max Homa, 25 to 1. I believe that is on BetMGM right now. And then Wyndham Clark, 100 to 1 on DraftKings. First off, what very, a. Uh, very low exposure for me on the outright market. I tried to get there on Zell Torch, just couldn't do it. Maybe I'll bet him live. I consider doing that same exact thing of not getting so much exposure pre-event and trying to get Zalatoris during the tournament. But uh, what a change here that we have. I don't it's even disgusting. have Webb Simpson it's on my card, and, and he's like one of the first players that you just want to unload on this week. Unload, yeah, I don't know. Well, my model's got him priced. Where is Mr. Webb? Proper at 35 to 1. And a lot of the market's at 35 to 1, too. Actually, it's 33 to 1 on my model, so significant value on the ticket i know it's just gonna it's gonna burn me so it'll happen one day i I know i quit him earlier and i quit him last year and i quit him most of this year somehow he just brings me back and it's i don't know i probably have you to blame but my model (laughs) likes him so whatever we're we're gonna ride the web I have proper on him at less than 20 to one, but I decided to make (laughs) it i decided to make a decision that i'm playing will zalatoris and 
Uh, I don't, like I said, I don't think 16 to one is the greatest number in the world. And I normally don't do these things unless I have a massive edge, but you know, 15 to one for me was what was proper on it. And that's not necessarily enough to punch the ticket, but I just have a gut feeling that this is the tournament. Will Zalatoris is going to win. And the numbers are at least showing a value for me that I'm able to wager on him at that number. So it's not some wager that I'm expecting to make tons of money on long-term. It's just, I'm trusting my gut. I'm trusting my model. And I think both of those things do lead Will Zalatoris to the winner's circle this week. That's fair. I'm all for it. Well, actually I'm all for Sung Yil No going to the winner's circle, but whatever you got to do. Sung Yil No wins this tournament. Like, I mean, I'll, I'll retire at that point. That'll be my million dollar victory. Perfect. All right, Nick, anything else you want to talk about before we let everyone get out of here today? No, sir. Uh, actually, the books are pretty sharp on Mac Hughes, so give him a look if you're uh, looking for some uh, some cheap DFS guys down there at 7,300 with no ownership. So I do kind of like him, but yeah, that's about it for me. Yeah, so you can find Nick on Twitter at StixPicks. I am at Tioff Sports. The two of us can be found together at Better Golf Pod. And as always, if you have any questions about the tournament, please feel free to reach out to us at one of those handles. Let's try to keep the momentum rolling with another big outing at the Rocket Mortgage Classic. I'm expecting, Nick, for you to have another $100,000 type week this week, but we will see you guys back here next week.